Good evening. Uh, welcome to all of you. It's good to see you for the uh, final session that we have in our Lent study material. Uh, entitled tonight, You Were Made for a Mission. You Were Made for a Mission. I'm thinking particularly about evangelism. Well, as has become tradition now in uh, these evenings, we're going to start with a couple of short plays. And, um, yeah, just imagine that you've got, as these unfold, two people who are having a conversation where one of them is going to ask some questions about God. Thanks for meeting me, Jeff. No problem. What's up? Uh, it's a bit awkward, really. I've been a bit curious. Curious? About this change in you. You know, bringing your Bible to work, talking about your faith and all that. Yeah? So what's it all about? What do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> what's really going on? Why are you doing it? Because I believe in it. Right, but how? I, I can't make sense of it. You've got this bloke named Jesus. He died, and if I believe in him, I'll go to heaven? Something like that. But why? Why do you have to die? Because he was the Lamb of God whose blood had to be shed for the remission of our sins so that we could be redeemed according to the riches of his grace. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's propitiation, isn't it? That way we could be justified by righteousness. Of course. So, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Oh, good. Good. I'll never really understand it, uh, not in a million years, so I just need to confirm it for me. Just, yeah. Bob, maybe I didn't explain it right. Bob, come back! <laughs> um, that's one scenario. How about the second one? Hi, great. Thanks for meeting me, Dad. My pleasure, Bob. What can I do for you? Awkward, really. I've been curious. Curious? About this um, change in you lately. You know, the way you're always smiling and talking. Talking about your faith. Things like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's it all about? I'd like to know. Praise the Lord. <laughs> huh? I've been praying, if you'd ask me. You have? Oh, yes. And just last Sunday, Barbara Wilkins had a word of knowledge that you'd asked me about my faith. Barbara. Word. What? Barbara Wilkins. At church. She knew you were going to do this. She said my name in church? Uh, not you, literally. Um, but someone like you. It was a vision, actually. Symbolic. Really? Yeah. So, what's it all mean? Oh, man, it's brilliant. God sends his spirit inside of you and you raise your hands and you just you just praise him all the time praise him why would i i'm confused that's all right you're allowed to be confused it's like speaking in tongues you don't have to know someone else will interpret it speaking in tongues yeah it's fantastic you don't know until it happens to you praise the lord but what about jesus oh yeah you have to believe in him too and then you ask to be filled with the Spirit. It's wonderful. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, 
Yeah, so am I. Well, do you want to do it? Do what? Pray. Pray? Yeah, so you can have what I have. Thanks, but I think I'll wait till it makes a little bit more sense to me. But, Bob, Bob, it doesn't have to make sense. Bob! I wonder if for anyone here that has been your experience of people sharing the faith. Perhaps you've seen people do it like that. Perhaps you've done it yourself. You know, maybe for some people, you know, that is their experience, that they've seen people who've just asked, answered questions they've not really asked. Answer them in a way which is just, well, not a way that people can understand. Done things in a way that actually puts people off and makes them question even more and just say, well, actually, I was right all along. It wasn't something I wanted to know about. Sometimes that is a reality of evangelism. The other thing that sometimes happens is, and perhaps you can also relate to this, uh, or maybe you can relate to this one better, is that uh, you suddenly are aware that you did have a chance to share something about your faith, but now you've missed it. You know those situations where somebody tells you something, shares something with you, and you know you've just had that opportunity to say something, but you don't take it. You're busy thinking, is this the right time? What shall I say? How are they going to react to it? And suddenly, before you realise it, the conversation has moved on, and you've lost the opportunity. Getting the balance between over-enthusiasm and not missing an opportunity is very difficult. Perhaps if you want to use your, your minds, uh, you, you could use the image of it. It's as difficult getting the balance as for a one-legged man in a bottom-kicking competition. It's just not the sort of thing that is going to happen very easily. Play with that image later if you want to. It's, uh, it amused me when I started thinking of it. But getting your balance, getting the balance in evangelism between over-enthusiasm and missing the opportunity is not an easy thing to do. How do we do it? Well, that's something we have to work through ourselves. But I think one of the things that uh, I have to say is I do believe I have an advantage here over many people. And that's because quite simply, when I start talking to somebody and I've not met them before, the conversation doesn't go on for very long before somebody asks me, what do I do? And um, by the time I've said something and they've explained to me why they don't normally go to church um, or how they only go at, um, at Christmas or Easter, then I do sometimes have the opportunity to actually share something about what I believe and why I believe it. It comes up quite naturally for me, but of course for many people, it doesn't come up in that same way. It's not quite so easy to just drop things into the conversation. But we have to work out what are we doing and why. Have we got that passion for actually sharing the gospel? And uh, I just want to share a little bit tonight about... Um, the story of Saddleback Church. We've, a number of us have been reading the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And um, 
I just wanted to share a little bit about where that sprang up from. Not because I'm suggesting we should be models, modelling ourselves on Saddleback. Not that I'm holding it up as this wonderful church that has got the perfect way of doing things. But when I was, um, I've had the opportunity to listen to Rick Warren speak, and when I was listening to him, there were some things about what he was saying that really challenged me. Challenged me about this topic of evangelism and sharing in mission. And what I wanted to share was just about how the church started. Uh, At the time when Rick Warren um, left ministerial training and uh, went for his first job. I'll use his words as he describes it. He says, um, well, he talks about the fact that he felt called by God to plant a church in Southern California. And this is what he said. I pulled off the freeway as I arrived and stopped at the first real estate office I could find. I walked in and introduced myself to the first estate agent I met. His name was Don Dale. I said with a big smile, my name is Rick Warren. I'm here to start a church. I need a a place to live, but I don't have any money. Don grinned and laughed out loud. I had no idea what would happen next. Don said, well, let's see what we can do. Within two hours, Don found us a small place to rent, got us the first month's rent free, and agreed to become the first member of Saddleback Church. God does provide, he said. Two weeks later, they held their first meeting in that home. Seven people came along. Fifteen years later, the church was regularly attracting 10,000 people. And this was done without getting people from other churches coming in. They set up almost with a rule straight away of saying, Rick, Rick Warren actually said, if anyone comes from another church, we're going to send them straight back to that church. My heart is for those who don't go to church, and I want a church for the unchurched. And so out of that 10,000, 7,000 people were baptised. I recently was, um, there was a picture in the Baptist Times about the 20,000th baptism that they've had in the last 25 years. Incredible. As I said, I'm not holding it up as this big, wonderful church in the sense that they will have had failures as well. They will have had difficulties along the way. Not everything they've done is perfect. But one thing that you get from listening to Rick Warren or from reading anything about the church is the passion that people have for sharing the gospel message. At Easter, three years ago, They had 15,000 people who showed up at their services the week before Easter. They were set a challenge that week to invite everybody who was there to invite and bring along one non-church person. The following week at the Easter Sunday service, they had 35,000 people attending between the services. If we set that challenge of bringing one person who doesn't normally go to church along with us to a service. How many of us would be able to respond and bring somebody along? That's, for me, where the challenge of a place like Saddleback comes in, because I know the way they do things. It's a different culture over there. There are different ways in which they work. We're not trying to replicate anything there, but their passion is for actually getting people who don't go to church to come along and have faith. And that's what I want to question for us. Is that where our passion is? 
Is that what we want to see happen? People who have no faith, who don't go to church, do we want to see them coming into church? And of course the answer is going to need to be yes. And on a Sunday I spoke about a a couple of things here in church, particularly about obedience, remembering things like um, the the words words of Jesus. Um, go and make disciples of all nations. Also, as well as obedience, the experience that we have, sharing out of the great things that God has done for us, this wonderful experience, sharing out of that. You may have noticed Andy, uh, you know, he was so enthusiastic about sharing. It may not have been quite the right, right way, but he was sharing out of the experience of what God had done for him. And I believe that God wants us to share our faith out of experience of what God has done for us. But tonight, having spoken about those two on Sunday, um, and as I said last week, to do a little advert, if you do weren't want to listen to that, if you weren't able to be here, you go to one of the other churches, or you normally come to us but couldn't come along, you can listen on the web uh, if you go to www.pershawbaptist.org. I got that right. So if you want to listen to that, then, then you, can, you can do that. But tonight I want to think about a third reason about why we want, might want to share the good news. And um, we're going to read from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 in the first ten verses. One of the things I've enjoyed about this series is the fact that I actually get two chances to speak on the subject. So all the things that I can't get in on the Sunday morning, I get another opportunity to, uh, to share some more things. I, I think the answer may be to preach for about 45 minutes every Sunday. Uh, I, I can tell from your enthusiasm there how much you'd like that. If you wish to follow it, you can find it on page 99 of the Pew Bibles in the New Testament section. Two very well-known stories about the lost sheep and the lost coin. One day, when many tax collectors and other outcasts came to listen to Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law started grumbling. This man welcomes outcasts and even eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. What does he do? He leaves the other ninety-nine sheep in the pasture and goes looking for the one that got lost until he finds it. When he finds it, he is so happy that he puts it on his shoulders and carries it back home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says to them, I am so happy I found my lost sheep. Let us celebrate. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 respectable people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins loses one of them. What does she do? She lights a lamp, sweeps her house and looks carefully everywhere until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says to them, I am so happy I found the coin I lost. Let us celebrate. In the same way, I tell you, the angels of God rejoice over one sinner who repents.
the job of being a shepherd at that time was a difficult and a dangerous job. There were no restraining walls and the sheep could just wander wherever they would. The shepherds very often did not own the sheep, they were the sheep, they were employed to look after them. So that meant that they had a great responsibility to make sure they looked after every single sheep. If one went missing or was killed, it was their job to bring back the fleece to show the owners that the sheep had been killed by an animal or something like that. They had that responsibility. To lose a sheep was a serious thing. They would track for mile upon mile, hour upon hour, in search of that lost sheep. Well, take the lost coin. One of those coins would have been roughly equivalent to a day's wage. You can imagine if somebody lost that, they would be very keen to find it. But perhaps another explanation as well that is sometimes given as to why the woman was so concerned is um, a more romantic one. Uh, at that time, uh, the sign of a married woman was that she had a, um, a headdress made out of ten silver coins and linked together with a silver chain. So the loss of one of those silver coins, if that's what it was attached to, might be akin to somebody losing part uh, one of the stones from the wedding ring or something like that. You know, there's something about it that says she's really upset to have lost it. She searches and searches to try and find it. In both of these stories, the same outcome. When the lost is found, there is great joy and celebration. And that's the third reason that I want to think about this evening, about why evangelism is important. Because God, the Father, has a passion for the lost. God has created you and me to live in relationship with him, but he's a parent who doesn't force our love. He loves us completely, fully, wholly. But he lets us go, he releases us. He longs for our love back in return, but we have a choice. And some people choose to respond to that love, Others choose to ignore it. But when God's love is ignored, I believe it hurts God. It causes him pain. We can perhaps take that parent image further if we read the, the next story in Luke, the parable of the lost son, the parable of the prodigal. Where... The child leaves the family home, goes away, squanders the money, and then comes back into the loving arms of the father, who rejoices because his love has not been complete while his son is away. I believe God has a passion for every single person in this world, not just those of us that go to church, but everyone. God loves people who are out there in Pershaw and the surrounding villages just as much those who go to church as those who do not go to church. 
But it hurts God that there are people out there who do not respond to his love. And he longs for people to come and to know him and to respond to that love. There is nothing, sad, nothing more sad than unrequited love. God loves one. He longs for that love in return. If, as followers of Christ, we have a desire to search after the heart of the Father, if we do that through our worship, through our fellowship with one another, through our discipleship, through our serving, if we're really searching for the heart of the Father, then we need to share God's passion for the lost. And that's the challenge that I throw to myself as well as to everyone else. How great is our passion for the lost? Are we willing to share? Are we willing to do things to try and spread the good news? Now we saw earlier on a couple of bad ways of doing that. But that's no excuse for not getting involved. There is things that all of us can do. Sometimes they're very simple things. You know, my mind goes straight to this Friday. The march of witness. Through the town, through the high street. To the short service in Chapman Court. You know, what a great statement that will be to people if there are many Christians in Pershaw who are walking up through that street. Just something that we can do very easily just by attendance for half an hour on a Good Friday. Our sharing of that good news with people out there that people have to say, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? And we're going to have some flyers which we'll hand out with just a basic Easter message on so that people can hear what we're doing, what we believe. It doesn't always have to be the big, the amazing. We can share the gospel through very simple acts many times. But what's important is that we have a real passion. You know, because again, I started off by talking about, you know, do we sometimes feel we've been over-enthusiastic and put people off? Or do we sometimes feel like we've missed opportunities which we could have taken? The one thing I want to say about both of those things is whether, we've got it right, whether we have got it wrong in those situations, there's one thing that we've got right. We've known we've had a responsibility for mission. And it's not always about getting it right, because none of us will all of the time. We will all make mistakes in it. But the tragedy is when we don't care enough about lost souls to do anything about it. God's got a passion for the lost. God's got a passion for everyone in this world. Do we share that passion? I have shared more about um, Saddleback tonight than in any of the other weeks, and I just want to finish with a story. Um, it's a true story that, again, is from Rick Warren's experience with his father. It, it is contained in the 40 Days of Purpose, so you may have read it. But I think it, well, it was certainly very powerful for me, talking about uh, a time his dad was dying from cancer uh, a few years ago and saying that he was talking aloud in a dreamlike state. And he said the Thursday night before he died, Alsa, my niece, and Kay and I were in that room by his bedside. All of a sudden, my dad got very agitated and he tried to get up and he tried to get out of bed. And Kay said to him, Jimmy, you've got to lie back down. You're sick. You're dying. 
He kept trying to get out of bed, trying again and again, very agitated, trying to get out. And finally, Kay said to him, Jimmy, what are you trying to do? What do you want? He said, I've got to save one more for Jesus. I've got to save one more for Jesus. And they said, he said that probably a hundred times in the next hour. Save one more for Jesus. Isn't that an incredible witness that somebody on his deathbed had that passion for the lost? So great was it that even when he was dying, even when he was in a dreamlike state, all that he'd been thinking about, all he'd done in his life, came to the forefront. I've got to save one more for Jesus. That's the challenge for each of us. I long to just see people who come to know Christ. People who were lost, but now are found. I long to see that. And I know that if I'm talking about the purpose of my life, that has got to be one of the things that is right at the centre of why I'm living. I'm not talking about getting things out of balance here, where we concentrate on this more than anything else. But we need to hold worship, fellowship, discipleship, serving God and our mission to the lost. We've got to hold them in balance. But I have to be honest and say probably of those, the one that I fail at most is this. Sharing with the, sharing the good news with those who don't know it. I might be talking to a load of people who are far, far better than I am at it. You may be far in better balance than I am. But I throw this out of a challenge to each of us and to myself to have that passion to see more people saved for Christ. We've got time to think about this now in our groups. We will once again meet here in about five to nine to take an opportunity to pray. So we've got about 50 minutes in our groups. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it's been a wonderful six weeks. We've learned more about each other, we've made great friends, we've possibly infused new life into churches together in Persia. And we owe a great debt of gratitude to Mark, who's made it possible, who's given the teachings, who's, and whose team have arranged for us to use this building for such good <coughs> Shall we give him a round of applause?